Welcome to the Unapparent Podcast, the place that delivers deeply human stories about the unapparent truths of parenting. My name is Katia Reguero Lindor, and I am your host. I am the mother of a toddler named Kalina, wife of a professional baseball player named Francisco, social and environmental justice advocate, and most importantly, I am an individual who is constantly learning, unlearning, and evolving while navigating this beautiful and complex experience that is parenthood. The goal of the Unapparent Podcast is to debunk myths surrounding parenthood and to provide a safe space for parents and parents-to-be to feel seen, respected, understood, and heard by a community of fellow parents. In this empathetic, judgment-free space, being vulnerable and even venting is okay. Being able to admit we are frustrated or we don't know what the hell we're doing is okay. This is an honest, insightful platform for others and myself to learn from and recognize that we are not alone in these complex experiences of parenthood. Throughout our time together, we will be joined by various guest speakers with different parenting experiences and dynamics from my own, including queer parents, non-gestational parents, adoptive parents, single parents, and so forth. We will also be joined by professionals in the field of pre- and postpartum care and child psychology, including therapists, midwives, doulas, medical doctors, and more. If you haven't done so already, make sure to join our community over on Instagram, at the unapparent, with one P. So thank you for being here, subscribe, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. Um, today will be a little bit of a heavier episode since we will be talking about loss. Um, our guest today has very generously obliged us by coming on and telling her story. Um, so thank you, Maribel, for being willing to be vulnerable with us. Um, and we hope that all those parents who may really need to listen to this episode um, feel seen and, and um, understood. So, um, Maribel, welcome. And um, to start things off, I want to give a apology because um, my daughter is obsessed with Encanto. So if I call you Mirabel ever, <laughs> that is my bad. I know your name is Maribel, but I'm watching Encanto on repeat. And so it's all Mirabel in my household. <laughs> You're not the first one, so okay. no worries. <laughs> Muchas gracias por invitarme. Thank you so much for having me on. And um, yeah, I'm here and I'm I'm ready to share. <laughs> awesome. I'm, you're a podcast host yourself, correct? I am. And um, you are also Latina, so we have that in common. So that's awesome. Um, I'm yeah. really excited to have you on today. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. I, you know, I've had the privilege of being on a few podcasts, uh, but as a producer and host I had my own a few years ago 2018 actually it's been a while now so I started that uh, quite a few years ago now and then that led me down this whole path of producing and and helping other people with their podcasts and somehow I ended up being graced with um, joining the company of some amazing people at the Pulsa podcast so I do want to give them a shout out because that's that's where I am now so <laughs> and if you guys <laughs> haven't heard finding. it um, Pulso is an amazing podcast I really highly recommend it I've enjoyed all the episodes I've heard so yes thank you <laughs> <laughs> thanks for the shout out um, so Maribel as I said in the intro um, you can give us a uh, uh, 
an account of, of personal loss that you've experienced. Um, and I know it's a very um, delicate topic and it's probably hard to talk about. So um, again, I'm really grateful for you to be willing to come on and talk about it. Um, but it, it can be a little bit of a, of a taboo subject. And um, I don't know if it gets talked about enough. And I know there's a community of women particularly who, who really need um, to hear that they're not alone and um, that, yeah, there's a community of us out there who, who are supporting you even if from afar and even if we don't know each other personally. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, it is hard to talk about. I think sometimes it's harder than others. It just depends on the time of day, on the time of year. It's like certain things have to align, right? Sometimes for us to talk about these things and I'm always pretty open about my life experiences with people, especially with my friends and family. I mean, there are things that I talk about publicly um, on the podcast, on interviews, social media, but there are other things that you don't necessarily always want to talk about. And so I'm glad that I have the space here to talk about this particular experience, though I have shared a lot of it on, <laughs> on a specific episode of the Pulsa podcast. I do uh, still think that there's an ongoing conversation around this topic that we just don't spend enough, I guess, time around actually dealing with. And there are so many people out there who go through this or similar things when it comes to to loss in, in parenthood. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Um, and um, I, I listened to that episode of, of yours on the Pulso podcast and I was very touched. I was bawling my eyes out. <laughs> um, and also, because you're such a great narrator, I've got to really give that to you. I don't think um, everyone can tell their story the way you did. So that is uh, that is amazing on your part, not just being open to telling it, but the way you, you told it. Um, so if you wouldn't mind, I don't want you to feel repetitive obviously everyone who wants to listen to that should go to the Pulso podcast and hear your your narration of it but to whatever extent you know you're able and willing could you um tell us a little bit about that experience um so well where should I start (laughs) um so okay let's start here in 2019 I found out I was pregnant in the summer and we were very shocked because we were not exactly planning anything yet. So we were shocked, but that shock quickly turned into excitement. So we were really excited. And a few weeks later, probably about five, six, six weeks later, something like that. Um, no, no, I'm lying. I'm sorry. I was about, when I found out I was pregnant, I was about four weeks pregnant. And then about three weeks after I found out, um, I realized that I was having a miscarriage. I didn't just realize it. It's like I had this feeling. I had some weird symptoms. Went to the doctor. They couldn't find a heartbeat. They were like, you're having, you're going to have a miscarriage. And they gave me the option of we can induce the miscarriage, which is an abortion, um, which is now illegal in many states uh, or, you know, has a lot of, you have a lot of trouble trying, you know, getting that. So that was back then that was my option I they could induce the miscarriage um so that I could have an abortion or they could just wait it out we could wait it out um I decided to wait it out um and so 
that's a you know I've never stopped to think about why I decided to wait it out I just realized like why did I decide to do that to myself because that's I don't know if I recommend that um but that's that's what I did and so so we we went ahead and waited out and it actually didn't take that long I think I was still trying to process the situation and then before I could really fully process it it started and I'll never forget that we were sitting at at the closing for our we were we were selling my first condo and we were sitting at the closing of it signing paperwork and I had to go to that and I was bending over in pain while my husband was just sitting there next to me like didn't know what to do like he was like holding my hand rubbing my back and I was just like barely able to move the pen on the paper I was in so much pain um and you know got through that and the miscarriage happened obviously it was it was super super devastating um was as I'm sure a lot of people who have dealt with this understand and know and so after that I was like okay well maybe we should try you know maybe we should see what happens again and see if we can do this um so we did and and we got pregnant I got pregnant again a couple months later so a couple months later I was pregnant again and this time we were kind of like a little bit more cautious about mm -hmm. just being optimistic but not necessarily being super excited and that's actually what led me to um record my my experience because because I had had that miscarriage I was I felt like I was having this weird like out of body experience in, in the next pregnancy and I was just thinking I'm going to I'm going to journal, you know, I'm going to journal my thoughts and my experience. I'm going to record some voice memos of what I'm going through and what I'm thinking about. And it was kind of therapeutic for me. So that's what I started doing. And I started recording this experience. And then we go in for the first ultrasound about seven weeks in and we find out that we're having twins. Mm -hmm. So we're like, oh, my God, we're going to have twins. This is incredible like this is wild my husband and I couldn't believe it but we were super excited and then almost it almost felt like this gift this like next chance uh, you know new opportunity um not that you can ever replace a child right or you can ever replace a pregnancy that you've had but it almost felt like God was like here you go you know here you get two. you get two. <laughs> um and so we were just excited but also terrified and and then you know here we are we start we start the process of okay we start telling our family and friends like our close family and friends uh and we but we still kind of kept it under wraps with with most people we just kind of shared it with some close friends and family and then here comes my 13 week or 12 week appointment where you hear the heartbeat for the first time and so I remember like waking up thinking it was Christmas. Like I was so excited to hear the the heartbeat um, for these babies. And we show up and we she does like the Doppler um, and, and we start hearing the, the heartbeats. But she the doctor was like, you know what? I, one of them's a little faint. So let's just get an ultrasound just to be be careful, uh, just to double check. Like She wasn't concerned. So we got an actual ultrasound. And then I just rem remember the the ultrasound technician was like, I got to go get the doctor. And the doctor came in and she was like shaking. Like she looked like she was sh almost in shock. It was weird. 
And so she just said, like, flat out, there's a problem with baby A. And everything else just like, I don't know. I think I blacked out. Mm-hmm. I just started bawling. Um, and so from there, we had to go to a specialist and we learned that she, well, at the time we didn't know the sex, but we learned that the baby had a condition called anencephaly. And anencephaly is this uh, birth defect that basically makes it difficult for a baby to develop their brain, like the entire brain. So the babies are oftentimes born with half of their brain missing or sometimes even more. Um, And that means they can't really survive outside of the womb. So as we're, you know, we go to the specialist and we're learning this, it just, it was kind of a nightmare, Um, you know, because then I had to think, okay, am I gonna, what's gonna happen to my other baby? And and then like the, the focus shifted to how do we protect the other baby too? And I start reading all these articles and trying to figure out if I can connect with other people who have been through this experience. And there have actually been quite a few experiences that have, or quite a few people who have shared these experiences on the internet. And thank God for that because I was able to feel some hope when I started reading these stories, especially of twin births. Uh, where people had twins and one of them had anencephaly, but the other one had survived. So I like started holding on to that. And yeah, that was my my first trimester of pregnancy. I mean, and that fear that you have for the second baby, you know, to survive, I just, uh, that is so hard. Um, And so you carried on. So you knew from pretty much the beginning that one of the babies already was probably not going to survive yeah I did so then the rest of your pregnancy I'm sure was extremely stressful more so than (laughs) regular pregnancies are yeah I mean I I think to say that I had like the a pretty traumatic pregnancy is the least I can say like (laughs) an understatement yeah I yeah it's an understatement you're right I thought that I don't know I always kind of looked at myself as this person that nothing crazily out of the ordinary really ever happened to like I always felt like I was pretty lucky I was you know I lived a pretty good healthy normal quote-unquote life like I I don't know like I just always felt like those were things that never have would never happen to me like those kinds of things and and it did and so I think I went into protection mode like I started to compartmentalize and just kind of focused on my son because by then we had found out that he was a boy we still didn't know 100 percent um what baby a was as far as sex we we didn't learn that until much later but because we couldn't see uh just uh the way that everything was positioned and so it was I, I kind of just started focusing on him more. But then I had these moments of like guilt because I felt like I was connecting with my son, but I wasn't connecting with her. And, but I, I don't know, like I didn't know what to do because I, I was like, well, how do I protect my, like I was kind of trying to protect myself and protect my heart. But at the same time, I wanted to also kind of hold on to hope because I was like, well, what if, like, what if for some miracle, 
she's born and everything's okay. But then I would go to the ultrasound appointments and I would see it with my own eyes. I could see it because there were always 3D appointments. So we had to go every two weeks. We had to get an ultrasound. And every two weeks I saw it. But there were people around me. My mom was one of them who still kind of held on to to hope and wanted me to hold on to hope. And I had to almost explain, like one time I had to tell my mom, you don't understand. I've seen it. I don't like this isn't helping me. I don't want to hold on to hope. I want to I wish it wasn't happening, period. But I can't pretend like it's not happening. Right. So for you, um, in that moment, what was the best support you had? Um, what in what what form did that take? Um, or what did you wish you had had at that moment? You know, and this is for all those partners and family members who might listen and need to know how best to support, you know, their partner, daughter, sister, um, whoever it may be going through this. Um, well, I mean, I, I had so many people who supported me, my friends, my family, my husband, even strangers, honestly, mm-hmm. on the internet, who, because I, I started posting inside a group where other parents have have been through similar experiences and you know they just the words of support were helpful advice um so I would say community was one of the biggest things for me like just being able to go somewhere safe that I could talk about what was going on and other people could understand what I was going through that was big mm-hmm. um because no matter how much your family your friends love you they, if they're not going through it or they've never been through it, they cannot understand it. Right. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you just need to talk to someone who does. So I kind of like allowed myself to have those conversations with people who I really barely knew. And right. sometimes it was easier to have the conversations like that. So I talked to grief doulas. I talked to nurses. I talked to, like I said, <laughs> strangers on the internet. Uh, my therapist. And my regular doula, because we we did get a doula. And those people were very influential in in the way that I kind of dealt with with things. I talked to my husband, but even when you're talking about grief and you're both going through grief, that's the weird part. It's not that easy to talk to your partner when you're both going through a very similar thing or you're both experiencing the loss together. Because they're going through their own stuff. And there were times that I didn't really feel like he understood what I was thinking or what I was feeling. And I think that he was always just trying to protect me and trying to protect us. And I was trying to protect the babies. And for men, I don't know if I'm making like a generalization here because I'm not a doctor. (laughs) So... You know, take it with a grain of salt. But I do think from my experience that sometimes men don't fully understand or comprehend the effect of like the effect that pregnancy has on us and the the bond that we start forming with those babies from the beginning until they're born. Absolutely. Absolutely. My husband has told me that that he didn't feel any connection with the baby, obviously, because he's not growing a baby inside of him until 
he has her in his arms you know that's Mm -hmm. when the connection started for him i mean and i'm not saying again as you say every father every man is the same but i think in general we can um say that because biologically we have that connection um where we're growing the baby um it's different for us you know that connection starts from the get-go uh, in, in, in most cases, I, I know some, some women don't feel connected to their babies, right. but, um, in, in, you know, I would say a majority of cases we do feel that from the beginning. So that I can imagine how, how difficult it is to grieve something that you're not feeling in the same way possibly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you, you did say that you, your mom, um, while I'm sure she was a huge support, she had, um, ways that kind of didn't help you. Um, which was, was it mainly just the holding on to hope and saying, you know, maybe there's a possibility or, um, what would be the big, um, like don't (laughs) for, um, you know, family members to really stray away from. Oh man, I wish I knew you were going to ask me that because I have a list. (laughs) (laughs) I I actually had written a list, a list out because I wanted to share it with people at some point, but I just haven't been there, right, mentally. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I mean, I would say one of the things is not to pretend that it's not happening. Like, please Mm -hmm. don't do that. Please don't pretend like the loss isn't happening or nothing is wrong. That's one thing that people sometimes who are of faith rely very heavily on they rely on their faith so hard that they really they want to tell you that you just need to trust the process and that everything's going to be okay because you just need to have faith but the thing is sometimes things bad things just happen to people and holding on to faith during those times may help somebody but it might not help everybody And so just because something works for you doesn't mean it's going to work for the other person. And that was very hard for me. I I really, it would make me really angry when people would be like, everything happens for a reason. Yeah. It's not the moment. I just want to be like, no, (laughs) like, why would this happen to this day? I still don't understand why it happened. Mm -hmm. And I've talked to my husband about it many times. Like, because he's, I would say that he, of both of us, he's the one most connected to his faith. And he told me, I still don't know why it happened. Mm-hmm. Even though he has a much stronger connection to his faith, and he would, you would think that maybe he felt like, you know, more reassurance through that. He even told me, like, I still don't really know. <laughs> I'm still mm-hmm. trying to figure it out. That's a really good point. I mean, I, I feel like it touches upon a lot of um, the support that people try to give us, you know, because maybe it's it's all they have and it's maybe what they think is the most comforting thing to say um, because at the end of the day, nobody knows why things happen really, you know, no. and you might have, you know, super strong faith or really strong connection, you know, to God or whoever is your, you know, higher power, but um, there there are moments where that's not comforting as, as you said to you, for example, um, because even though you may be able to intellectualize what they're saying, you're still grieving and it's still hurting and you really don't know what the reason may be. And you may never know. And that's just really hard to, I think, come to terms with as someone going through the experience you were going through. So, um, 
I think as family members and, you know, outside support, it's really important to understand um, that sometimes the best way to support people is, as you say, it's not acting like it's not happening or acting like there's this greater reason that it's happening. You might genuinely believe that, but maybe don't um, express that <laughs> to the person going yeah, through it. Yeah, I mean, I think that, like, my aunt said something one time when it comes to, to grieving and loss. She said something one time to me that kind of stuck with me. And we were loose. So this was during, this was the day that my, my brother-in-law was dying. And <laughs> it's another thing, like, over the last few years, we've kind of been through a lot of grief, including the loss of my grandmother just last year. So I remember when my brother-in-law was dying, he died so young, that she called and she said, I think we have to stop asking ourselves why and start asking for what. And that kind of stuck with me. And she said it in Spanish. So, you know, she was like, hay que dejar de preguntar por qué y preguntar para qué. And to me, that was powerful because it was like, okay, so maybe th maybe it's not about asking why is this happening to me, but maybe it's what can I do with that grief? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, what can we do with this loss? And and it is okay to just do nothing. Like it's, that's the other thing. We are so, <laughs> we're so conditioned to always succeed and always stick it out and be strong and Power survive. through it, yeah. Yeah, that we forget that sometimes it's okay not to. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes it's okay to just let things be and deal with them in your own way and maybe sometimes that way doesn't mean what it you know the growth that happens with with what you deal doesn't necessarily look like the growth that happens with other people or how other people deal with it so for I started looking at it um from that angle a little bit like for what and because I am an I you know by trade and almost by nature I'm a storyteller I think I started looking at my experience as an opportunity to just kind of share it with others and let others not feel so alone, help mm -hmm. them kind of know that many of us are going through it or have gone through it. Um, so that was kind of like my para que was mm -hmm. to share my story. I don't know that I've helped a lot of people. I don't know that I've actually made anybody's life easier or better, but if I can at least If, if I have at least touched someone or in, or in a way made them feel less alone, I think I've done something for my daughter. Um, we, I think I, I think the para que is also like helpful in, in the way that I, I've looked at it because I stopped focusing so much on the why me or why did this happen? And started to focus more on like, just let myself be sad sometimes too. Because sometimes maybe that's why, you know, so maybe, maybe it happened too, because I needed to, to be able to process other things, other traumas in my life. Mm -hmm. I mean, who knows? I really don't have the answers. I'm still trying to figure it out. <laughs> I don't think we maybe ever have the answers or are supposed to, but um, as you said, I think Obviously, grieving is a unique process for everyone. Not everyone 
Greaves is saying that everyone um, is able to grow from it in the same way. Um, and just, I think in general, um, grieving is just, it's so personal. There's no right way to do it. And it absolutely is okay to just feel it out, you know, grieve and not do anything. Um, I think there's such a big focus on just productivity and like Mm -hmm. not feeling sad and just this toxic positivity where like (laughs) something good has to come about everything. And it's just like, no, as you said, sometimes bad things just happen and yeah, you know, we deal with it, but that's in our own way. Maybe I'm like sad for like five years, you know, I mean, hopefully not for your own mental, you know, well-being, but sometimes you just have to be sad and society is so uncomfortable with that it feels like it's like your life has to at least appear good and perfect even if it's not and it's like we're human we go through human experiences and that means we are going to be sad at times I think people don't want to talk about loss or grief in our in our society because it makes them uncomfortable like you said and so Mm. we are conditioned to not want to be uncomfortable we're conditioned to always want to like supersede and and be on the good side of things. Um, I've learned that with grief and loss, like from my brother-in-law, my grandmother, my grandparents, losing both of my grandparents before that. I've learned that you never really fully get over losses like that. Mm-hmm. And that's just normal. I think that that's another thing we have to to be okay with when it comes to losing a loved one like you never really truly get over it you just learn how to live differently and when people would ask me like how are you doing are you okay you know after so I mean just to give you context the the next two trimesters of pregnancy were were up and down like mm-hmm. just an, in, you know, just up and down like a roller coaster. There were days that I cried a lot. There were days that I didn't. There were days that I felt really genuinely joyful and happy. And many times that I felt connected to both of them. Um, and then, of course, this was in 2020. So pandemic, <laughs> pandemic starts in March because I was so this is my my second tri- tri- trimester was uh, January, February, March. And then here comes my third trimester, April, May. no. I'm no something like that <laughs> point is <laughs> that I'm pandemic like here. <laughs> almost done yeah I'm almost done with my second trimester when the pandemic starts and I when I tell you that like that shot my anxiety up mm. through the roof it was wild I had a panic attack um because I started to feel like the walls were closing in and at that moment I felt like I couldn't protect the babies anymore because I Mm. I was worried that we wouldn't even be able to feed them I was worried that I couldn't get enough food because people were running to the grocery stores lining up and like emptying shelves Mm. and when you're pregnant and you know you need to eat for three (laughs) like that just sends you into a spiral so I I started meditating so that, that was something that really helped me. I started meditating. I made the commitment to myself to wake up every morning, Monday through Friday, and I would meditate live on Instagram because what else was I going to do? Mm-hmm. I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't see my friends. I couldn't see my family. couldn't travel. We were in complete isolation, especially because Doug and I were very serious about making sure that we were both healthy. We didn't want to, I had already been sick, like I had a cold. And when you're pregnant, having a cold is the worst because you can't take anything. Mm 
Yeah. So it's really annoying. I didn't want to have a cold, of course, but I definitely didn't want to get COVID. Mm. So we were really strict about staying, you know, kind of away from people. And the only thing I had was meditation. So I, I was like, okay, how am I going to really stick with this? Well, I'll share it with everybody. I'll do it with people and, and see who wants to join me. I just posted and I said, if you want to join me, I'll be meditating every morning at 7 a.m., I think, or something like that for 10 minutes. So I'd get on and I'd meditate for 10 minutes on live and people would join me. And we would just, I would, I would kind of do the guided meditation. I would guide people and guide myself through it. Not that I'm a meditation expert, but I have learned many for throughout many years of kind of practicing on and off and learning from other teachers. So I have the skill sets and I was able to really hone in. And that took me for like, I think I did it for 30 days straight. And it really, really helped me. It was so powerful to the point that when I uh, was uh, in the delivery room, after I gave birth uh, to the twins, um, they, you know how when they give you the epidural, you like, I don't know if this happened to any of you, but you co- when you come off the epidural, sometimes you like shake. I was shaking. Like it, I've heard I of that. Yeah, yeah I, I didn't why. have an epidural, but I've, I've heard that okay. that happens. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> when I came off the epidural, like I started like, I was freezing. Like it's almost like, something happens with either adrenaline or I don't know what it was, but I was shaking and they put like multiple blankets on me and they're trying to keep me warm. And I, my teeth were rattling. I was shaking so hard. And I asked my husband if he could walk me through a meditation because I didn't know what else to do. And he Mm -hmm. was, he like sat at my feet and like held my feet and just walked me through a meditation. And it helped me. I like, it was, I was able to go, somewhere and calm down and then like kind of just even things out and I felt completely better afterwards and I think what happened was this this was right after my daughter passed away so we named her Azul and it was right after Azul had passed away they took Renzi over to get weighed and measured and all that stuff and while I was alone I think Mm -hmm. I started processing things all of a sudden. I don't know what happened, Mm -hmm. but I went into like almost shock. And if it hadn't been for that meditation, I don't know how else I would have felt better in that moment. And so I can tell you that having practiced the meditation regularly for so long for that time frame was crucial in that moment after the delivery. Wow. I wish I had been following you on, on Instagram back then. <laughs> I would have joined you for those live meditations, even though 7 a.m. is a little early. But <laughs> well, I'm like, I'm trying to think if it was 7 a.m. I want to say it was like 8 a.m. Because, <laughs> you know, uh, before kids, when you could wake mm-hmm. up at 8 a.m. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't know what that's like anymore. Um, but that sounds incredible, you know, and it reminds me a little bit of, of how I practice a little bit hypnobirthing because I... Um, I had a home birth and so I knew that I was going to have a lot of pain Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was sort of me prepping my body for to be able to go through the contractions and and because your body expects the contractions and they shake like you shake inevitably Mm -hmm. Um, 
because every minute, you know, when those contractions are really high and strong and powerful, um, your body's in anticipation just starts shaking and then the contractions come and then you have relief for like 30 seconds and, you know, so forth. Um, so not at all comparing, you know, the, the trauma that might have, um, been part of that experience for you having, you know, lost, um, Azul, but, just in in general with with physical pain at least that's how my body like experiences um pain i throw up and i guess i shake um oh you know yeah well i'm first of all amazing that you were able to do a natural i guess what they call natural at home birth that's Mm -hmm. that's amazing um i didn't have that opportunity not nor did i want it to be honest (laughs) um it's not for everyone yeah i i'm i'm kind of a chicken when it comes to pain uh but you know in my condition they they wanted me in the hospital no doula would have taken me no midwife would have taken me yeah no for sure um Mm -hmm. in fact i will say this so when we're talking about grief and loss specifically and when we're talking about loss the society is not necessarily equipped to deal with it but neither is the medical system Mm, and mm-hmm. that was my experience as well, where we had so many issues trying to be understood by our by our facilitators, by our care uh, care providers as to why we wanted things to to happen a certain way. So, for example, I I got a doula and I had to fight the hospital to let me bring my doula. Now, to be fair, it's because of COVID because I right. gave birth during the pandemic and they were not allowing more than one person to accompany you. So. I had to write letters, make phone calls, beg, and uh, to the credit of the hospital at St. Joseph's, they they allowed her to be there. Um, my doctor, I had to change OBGYNs. So I was with one practice, and six months, about six months into my pregnancy, I we decided to go with a different doctor because the practice that I was with, they couldn't guarantee that my doctor would be the one delivering Mm-hmm. or helping me through the delivery, I had already talked to them that I wanted to give, I wanted to do a vaginal birth. I did not want to go into a C-section. And everything that I read, and I was, I started to get very educated on this. They were telling me, you got to make sure you're working with a doctor and they're very clear in your plans because they will be quick to just be like, oh, this is too hard. Let's go ahead with the C-section. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I didn't want that. I wanted to genuinely give it a try. And so she they couldn't promise me that my doctor would be there and if my doctor wasn't going to be there then I didn't have that rapport Mm -hmm. and I wanted to trust that that they were going to be with me in that moment because it was going to be so difficult so I had to I changed practice um which a lot of people wouldn't do and I had to be a huge advocate for myself we went with another doctor and a practice that were was able to offer that you know more of that attention that I needed and they were amazing. I so I actually worked with a midwife and the OB. Mm-hmm. The OB, they're they're a couple, so it's kind of cool uh, that cool. they work together. Yeah, mm-hmm. and not only that, but the hospitals have rules. When you're a high risk pregnancy, a lot of times they won't even allow you to do a vaginal birth, or they will make you deliver in the OR, especially if they're twins or multiples. They'll make you deliver in the OR so that. In case anything goes wrong, they can quickly, you know, do whatever they need to do. My OB is so amazing that he talked to the director of the hospital or whoever he had to talk to. And he came in that that day that we checked in and he said, I talked to them. They're going to let you give birth here. 
I didn't even have to switch to the OR. Um, so, but these were things that I had to like continuously strive for and plan for. And I had to talk to them about it a million times, you know, please, please, Dr. Herbie, I need to make sure that we can deliver in the room. I don't want to go into the OR. I want to be in a very calm scenario. I don't want to be in high stress. You know, Mm -hmm. I brought in my diffuser and music and Doug had a fan and we like, we did the whole, (laughs) like we made the personalized room. room. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I noticed that there was, uh, for a lot of it, you have to be your own advocate. Mm-hmm. And, and that was my experience. And I'm sure that is the experience of so many people because they, there's just not a system set up for that. It's almost like they want to just crank it in and crank it out. And, and let's be honest, many, 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 many people cannot afford to just do a home birth or mm-hmm. to work with a midwife or to work with a doula. And so they have to go to the hospital and they have to work with whatever OB they're given. And they don't get those choices. But yeah. I want people to know that they do have a right and they do get to choose what mm-hmm. doctor they want to work with. And they do get to choose how they want things to, to evolve. Now, of mm-hmm. course, a lot of things had to align for me to be able to do all of that. But I had to push for that. And I, I think that maybe that's another kind of thing that came out of that experience was that mm-hmm. I that I'm able to tell people that you can be your own advocate when it comes to to birthing um, that's I'm so happy you brought that up because yeah. you know you had a particular set of um circumstances that were already really hard going into it you know um additional to giving birth which is hard let's face it you know it's women do it every day but it doesn't mean it's not hard um and even for, you know, not high risk pregnancies or, you know, not, not situations where it's, um, particularly difficult because of, of your grieving process, right. That you knew you were inevitably going to have to be going through, but hospitals are businesses. And as you say, unfortunately, not always is your desires in, in how you want to give birth. That's not necessarily respected. And that's not, um, it's not easy to go about that, especially if it's like your first time and you don't know you have these rights and you don't know that you can advocate for yourself. And um, maybe you went into it not knowing that you were going to need um, a doula or someone to advocate on your behalf, especially in those moments when you're like in labor and you're in so much pain that you like you can't really think of anything <laughs> at that moment. So it's like you need someone there that's on your side, that's advocating for what you want. Um, and I think not everyone has those clear expectations prior to going into um, labor that you had, that you were, you know, in- incredibly probably just strong-willed and had very, very clear with what you wanted, like clear with yourself. And you were able to advocate for yourself. And as you said, things aligned and everything. Um, and you were able to find a really good doctor I think that's huge um a, yeah. not not just a good doctor but a, a good a good doctor who followed your you know what you wanted um and that's that's so important I am I'm so glad you you brought that up and and yeah I I was able to have midwives you know and and that's one that was one of the main reasons I was also COVID um oh yeah yeah birth and um and it just it just felt more personal um I felt like I was just one more patient in the list of the doctors going in and out and I wouldn't have that personalized you know attention that I really felt 
um, such a big life occurrence requires. You know, you're giving birth, you're giving life, and it's it's so important to be treated like what you're doing is not just something else on on the list of doctors to like check off. You know, it's it's huge, and for you particularly, you you needed that system and that support. And I'm, I'm happy that you were able to find, um, people in the medical field who respected that. And, and learning, learning that is such a journey because you have to really do your research because no one's out here educating you. And Mm -hmm. so I had to do so much reading and, and talking to people and getting second opinions. I even had a conversation with another OB that was a friend of a friend because I wanted to know, like, is it true that that you are just automatically supposed to have a C-section when you have multiples? And and they were like, no, that's not true. We just have to work with the right doctors. And obviously, the circumstances have to al- align. The baby has to be head down, like a lot of different things. Um, but that was for me, that was very eye opening. Um, I don't know why I was so hung up on that, but for, it was just really important to me. I because probably because I've known women who have gone through C-sections and have seen them, how hard the recovery was for them, that for that I just didn't want to go through that. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't want to have to grieve a loss of a child, be a new mom, and then also be dealing with the recovery of a major surgery at mm-hmm. the same time. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I have to say that, like, postpartum, that that's a whole nother. <laughs> I'm going to bring you back too. for an episode of postpartum because I have a lot to say about that too. And I, I can imagine that you probably have even more to say. Um, what a journey. We all, and I think we all do. I, I think so. Nobody and nobody talks about it enough. That's, that's, nobody I think talks that's, about it enough. <laughs> that is where my podcast was born. In my postpartum stage where I felt so alone and like I didn't have anyone to talk to about this so mm-hmm. thank you for bringing that up and I will be bringing you back to talk about postpartum <laughs> um, yeah. so thank you again so much for coming on today and talking about you know your journey and and being vulnerable with us it means so much to me and I hope you know everyone out there listening you 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 don't feel alone thank you for for inviting me and giving me the space to share my story um, I hope that people feel enlightened but also realize like like we said that they're not alone and I hope that it helps people in some way if you want to reach out feel free because I'm always happy to give you the resources that I've learned or that I've shared that I've I'm always happy to share the resources that I have with people um, on how to go through these kinds of things or what I used or what was helpful to me I'm happy to to share that with people. Thank you, Maribel Quesada. Um, I will be posting all of your information because you are such an incredible resource. So thank you so much again, and um, we'll talk very soon. Bueno, mi gente, gracias, and thank you for listening to this episode of the Unapparent Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe as we release a new episode at least every month with an exciting new guest. Be sure to also follow us on Instagram for all the unapparent content you never knew you needed.